0: Welcome to Disambiguation. I'm your host, Michael Fawcett. Each week, we interview experts in AI, generative AI, and business automation to help business leaders understand how to use these tools for the biggest business impact. In our show today, we look at AI and the customer journey. I'm joined by Jeff Nicholson, industry veteran, several decades in AI before it was called AI, CRM, process automation space for several decades. Uh, And he had a hand in creating a a bunch of different categories across uh, technology segments. Jeff, welcome.
1: Great to be here, Michael. Great to be back. Yep.
0: Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you joining today. I, You know, <clears throat> we're going to talk about AI because, you know, we always talk about AI on the show, but, but before we kind of jump into the AI piece of it, I, I kind of wanted to start by setting the groundwork a little bit around this concept of customer journey. And I know it's a term we use all the time, but but I'm not sure we all, you know, think about it in the same way. So I'm curious, how do you think of it? Um, How useful do you think it is? Are there pitfalls, shortcomings around it? And then just in general, how do companies improve
1: it? Well, I think it's it's an interesting hot topic, especially when we're talking about the concept of of AI, which is a lot of hype, a lot of noise. (laughs) And many are looking for, you know, what's the practical application? And uh, I see a lot of vendors that make it seem like you just turn on their system and it automatically will solve customer journey (laughs) you know the customer journey is an interesting thing because if you really have an outside in perspective maybe that journey touches you a few times if you're lucky and it may touch your marketing if you're lucky you know there's a lot of research that is happening on the part of the consumer and buyer today that's not involving you whatsoever yeah and it might touch your marketing it might touch your sales touch points so Autonomous touch points that are selling, even humans uh, in the mix, uh, they still exist. And (laughs) if you're successful making that sale, customer service, customer support functions, billing functions, and the journey is cutting across all of these things. And if you take a step back and look at how enterprises are set up, they're not really set up as one big thing. Right. That's why solving journey is so hard. And when you throw AI in the mix, I'm seeing... In many cases, AI being deployed in isolation in a silo, doing one small thing, from the world, but it doesn't really cut across the journey.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Michael, you and I, you know, I've talked about uh, journey uh, in past around the concept of journey maps as if you could just put it on a piece of paper and then it's done.
0: Yeah, you know, I never could figure out a way to get the customers to follow my map, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, and, and you know, hit hit on another thing too that I think is really important as we carry into to the AI conversation too. The silos, and organizational silos, we know are, are a serious problem when you talk about customers. But but the data silos that we've created through the years of all these different systems, I mean, that also uh, has to be a real hindrance to the use of of AI in, in any of these processes, right?
1: Well, absolutely, and we're seeing organizations try and get their heads around this, and they were forced a few years back in many cases to start thinking about their data from a governance perspective in a different way lab- through legislation like the GDPR, CCPA. Mm-hmm. Where is the data? Where is the hell for how long? Where is the PII? Uh, where do we have to redact it and, and de-identify mm-hmm. it for use cases? Where is it should be used and not used? And so many businesses, thankfully, have had a running start, but now that they were they are being mm-hmm. they were pushed right to the <laughs> to the, to the race line. <laughs> Uh, when it comes to AI and masses of questions that organizations have to solve for here when it comes for bias in your models. are you using data that mm-hmm. you should using it in the right way? So yeah, all that's uh, should be top of mind.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, what as you start to think about AI and generative AI, which is obviously the topic of the year, um, what to you, what are the most exciting, promising ways that you're seeing companies use? These tools to to build a better digital experience, enhance the customer journey.
1: Well, there, there are quite a number of them uh, happening now, and I think what we should be looking for are those practical use cases. There are things that will happen someday at scale, but what are the things today? You know, we, we touched on well, we touched on marketing, we touched on sales, we touched on customer service, and I think there's use cases in each of these. Probably good to start with the marketing side, and. In, in, one of the areas is kind of in the personalization zone, but not the kind that we've talked about in the past. Uh, you know, personalization's been around several decades, uh, right, Michael? And uh, starting from dear, insert your name here in an email, and that was thought to. Be first. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I, I still get those, Michael. I don't know if you. Uh, oh, I do too. Believe <laughs> <laughs> me. Um, so that's still out there. But then we got more clever, and we, we said, "Oh, this this offer uh, uh, is the, the offer of the week," and then we said, "Well, this offer is for you." But it's the same offer we offered everybody else in that segment. And maybe we customize the image to be because you clicked on Italy. Here's a picture of Italy. And that's all great stuff. Where I think it's going, Michael, is toward real individualization. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it is not just the marketing message that's going to be shaped here. What are your thoughts, Michael?
0: Well, you know, I mean, you hit on the I love the word individualization. And I have kind of bounced that around in my head for years when I think of personalization, because I, I, you know, um, when you <laughs> I, I always have this story about one of our large uh, online retailers um, that um, that I, I'm a photographer. I buy high end photography equipment and I've done that through this retailer and others for years. But one time I bought a Christmas present for my mom. It was a little hundred and forty nine dollar point and shoot camera. So now almost every day, at least weekly, I get an offer of here's our most popular, you know, little cameras, here's another $119 $149 thing that you must want because one time 10 years ago you bought one. <laughs> you know. But and I <clears throat> that
1: drives me crazy actually because they have lots of data. Why don't they use it, right? And, and that's generally the attitude. If it, more and more customers are aware that you have their data, they're expecting it to at least use it to help them along that path. And yeah. If you get it wrong enough, they're going to take that right back.
0: Yeah, and, I mean that's that's the value proposition. Is uh, I give you, I let you use my data. I'm supposed to get something back, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: precisely. So you know, AI is one of those areas that you can apply it to help you down that path. And uh, you know, really, there are some examples I'll, I'll give. And if you look at how marketing teams are using AI to do. They might be using it for, to help them summarize content, right? To help them write an abstract and take an ebook and boil it down to a nice little subject line. That's, that's great stuff. But where it really has the opportunity to, to help is actually taking it a step further to that individ, individualization you talked about. And consider that even the products that we're offering can change in that marketing message. So think, think about uh, an individual that may be clicking on sport coats, uh, might be clicking on everything blue, not mine, uh, and moving through the site. And you're leaving th- those behavior, those footprints that you talked about, Michael. But we're just presenting the same things that we may or may not have in stock, frankly. Right. Where it's going to go, I believe, is to the era of actually wrapping that product around it. What if you actually could show that sport coat in blue with texture because everything that the person's clicked has had texture and it doesn't have three buttons. It has two because everything has had two. And For some reason, they're always clicking on a um, jacket with, with no pocket on it. Uh, well, that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But with this technology, there's AI that can actually generate that image. the mm-hmm. the firefly no Fireflyer things that we're using today, stable diffusion is another one, Michael.
0: Mm-hmm. You know I, I mean it, the data we have lots of data and and I mean you know like we have s- new some of the the you know product analytics kind of companies like amplitude have you know behavioral databases and they track all these different breadcrumbs across the whole you know interaction that you may do there and frankly you know intent data from across the web so you get it from other places too so it does seem like a logical time that we we could now take that data and have an engine that can can really individualize that for each of the customers as they go across
1: that experience, well, which is exciting, frankly. It, it absolutely is exciting. And it's, it's it's using it to wrap it around you. That individualization, it's not just a marketing message. So mm. again, that smart code example, the product is built for you. It might take you 14 days to get it. And by the way, brands <laughs> are doing, converse is letting, uh, my daughter just order one, letting you design your own shoe, but you design yeah. it. This yeah. is where... The, using those digital footprints at mass scale, you can produce these images using generative AI for image, not just text alone. Yeah. Well multimodal in many ways here. And present that. And what makes this super interesting to me as a lifelong uh, marketer is that when you think about the things that you can sell then next at mass, your system should alert you if it spots trends in these customers. Mm-hmm. And then you can spin it full circle into uh, your segmentation strategies you get and get again, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat.
0: Well, I, I mean, you hit on another thing too. I mean, that actually even ties back into the back end of the business, right? To the supply chain or manufacturing or whatever it might be dependent on the business. You, you could actually start to predict Uh, Demand of different types of items or variations of items, right? Colors or textures or whatever, and actually make sure that you have that just in time, and and save both on overhead and also improve customer satisfaction. I mean, that's absolutely, yeah, that's amazing.
1: Use it for good, not evil, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, I was I was reading something this morning. um, One of the um, conversational, uh, you know sales tools that people use gong um announced that they've now um added a generative ai capability that uh improves forecasting by i forget their number but maybe it was 30 percent or something Mm -hmm. because they're they're taking the data that they're collecting in all those conversations and across all of the conversations for all those years and abstracting that into ways to predict um I mean it, it seems like that from a sales perspective, some type of tools that make the the salesperson more effective would be a really important place to focus when you when you look at AI and, and the ways you could use it.
1: yeah, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeing and that's what, what I think the hot spot is when it comes to sales automation technologies. We're seeing kind of two hemispheres happening. One is on the productivity of the seller and I'm seeing a lot of that where well, you can use gen AI to, for example, summarize the, the conversation. You can use it to extract action items and, and meeting notes, schedule meetings and things like that. And those are you know hugely helpful, but they're, they're kind of party tricks in some sense, right? They're, yeah, yeah. They're helping you do what you should be doing anyway. They're just giving your time back. And my question is what are you doing with that time? <laughs> How do you your outcome? And that's what the, the example that you just shared. I think that's why I think it's so interesting because you can use AI to actually shape what you are doing materially to affect outcome. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I like, I like that idea that you sort of have two paths with AI. It, you know, one part is what can I do that removes friction from that person's role, their process, whatever. Right. So that's automation and, and, you know, like you said, summarization, data entry, all those things that people shouldn't really have to spend their time on when I want them to sell. And then the other half is what do you do to give them better insights into what they're doing so they can focus correctly and, and make better decisions,
1: right? Absolutely. And in the example you gave us ago, where the AI is learning at scale what happens to be working and not working. And, you yeah. know, and really surfacing that to you to make you more effective, not just efficient. And that's where I think that the real holy grail is. And mm-hmm. if it's all you wrapped around that journey that we talked about, using mm-hmm. those footprints and, and doing it right.
0: Well, you know, so we're talking a bit about the the customer, and I think that's really important. But I, I just wonder if you turn the lens around a little bit and look inside too. And I'm and I guess one of the things we mentioned the automation idea or the or removing friction that probably does improve the employee experience. But but how how are businesses doing that? Like, are they applying Gen AI internally to improve the employee experience as well? I mean, what how does that play into that and and CX? I mean, how does that play into interaction
1: with the customer? Yeah, absolutely. I'm starting to see that. And if you think about, you know, the employee experience is part of the customer's journey. They are not just touching autonomous touch points, they're touching employee touch points. And they're going to have to surface insights to you from their enterprise applications. And then by the way, for themselves, just in their daily life. Right. And today they're they're interacting with one application at a time. That's one of the major differences. Mm-hmm. And today they're, uh, they're querying, uh, you know, something specific and surfing to try and somehow find the middle in the haystack in the data. In the future, they're not just going to be clicking, they're going to be conversing. And I'm starting to see the applications emerge and you know, conversational AI platforms are out there.
0: Yeah.
1: What well, you actually have a conversation, what I think is the, probably the most interesting part, Michael, is that the conversation doesn't happen only necessarily with a single application, but it can happen across it. Mm-hmm. You would be asking you know, how much time, uh, if I don't take my time off through the year end, how much will I get back after taxes, considering the following things? There's no system that's got that ready to go, but it
0: no. So. no, or even, even what, you know, if I, if I change this in my process, what does this do? Or if I, you know, whatever I can, I can, can I get rid of some of this data entry work or have an assistant that does things? I mean, there, that, to me, that seems like that would make a big difference for the, for the the um the employee and then if you took that into the customer service world a, and you can you can literally give an assistant to that uh employee that would help them solve customer problems faster or actually you know be a part of the process that that also seems like that improves both it improves the employee experience and the
1: customer experience oh without a doubt and for years we've tried to surface kind of custom scripts into the screen for, for someone to read, some of it dynamic on logic. But now, Jenny, I can actually surface something more meaningful. And even just think about knowledge articles and how they've typically been, and your frontline employees trying to speak to a customer at the very same time as they're reading content. <laughs> yeah, that's 13 pages long. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's just a challenging job. Yeah. So if you can use Jenny to summarize that, not just the article, but in the context of the customer query that's at hand right now, and here's what I think the issue is, then we're talking about something more magical.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think the industry standard is uh, that a chat a customer support person on chat can handle, I don't know, three a good one can handle three to five interactions at a time. I mean, to me, I always thought that was crazy. Like, I couldn't barely do one interaction <laughs> at a time. But if I was trying to read things and figure out how to solve a problem, I mean, that could make a huge difference in my ability to, to manage that many interactions at once.
1: Well, absolutely. And, and so it's not just what you can do at the same time in my view, Michael, it's how you do it and yeah. you wrap it around the journey. And you know, and all these different forms of Gen AI will, will be able to help visual, audio, uh, text-based, mm-hmm. all these uh, multimodal uh, emerging approaches that are, are popping up. And mm-hmm. your, your ability to understand the context, wrap it around the customer is one of the major game changers that's coming. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, one of the other things that I as I was thinking about marketing, one of the things I was curious about, and, you know, obviously, from your perspective, as a as a practitioner, how, how do you keep because you've got you've got tools that generate emails, and you've got email campaigns, and you've got campaigns on social, and you've got you know ebooks and content marketing and all this stuff. How do you keep the brand consistent? I mean, is that something that we're worried about? From a, it seems to me like that could
1: go in all sorts of crazy directions. Uh, you nailed it, and, and this is one of the greatest challenges and opportunities when it comes to Gen AI. And when you consider now, effectively anybody can generate content from across mm-hmm. systems. The danger is that, that that's just getting created and sent over the, over the hill to your, to your market, to your customer, without the checks and balances in place. Is, is it hallucinating? Is it right? Is it in our brand tone? Mm-hmm. And actually, there's a, there's a wonderful analyst at Gartner named Andrew Frank that has been doing some really forward-looking uh, thinking around the subject of brand. And he believes that it's not only going to be able to help you police that brand, as content is going out the door and understanding where things are on and off in terms of tone, Uh, in terms of color, in terms of sharpness of image, all these types of interesting things. Mm. As it generates content, it it knows how to keep it in tone with your brand tone in a way, frankly, you could never even think of doing before at scale.
0: Mm. So, So it actually lets you set guardrails that could... Increase the consistency in a way that you probably never could have done, even in, in one team, let alone across all the organizational silos that you're talking about that do touch the customer uh, today.
1: I mean, that's yeah. It's always that, been a cha- it's always been a challenge, Michael, for for marketing teams with content going out the door in all different directions, and being created at all points across the organization. Now AI both is making that exponential, so creating almost a bigger problem, but it's also introducing a solution we've
0: never had. Yeah, that makes sense. So, that kind of brings me to another question and I this just sort of hit me and and I, you know, I know for for a while CDPs, you know, customer data platforms have been a big thing. People talk about them a lot, but every time I'd look at them for the most part, now this is starting to change. I hope they were talking about it from, as a marketing tool. I mean, do you think that CDPs play a role in this from an AI perspective? Do they give you the capability perhaps to overcome some of these silos? And is that the right sort of way to think about it?
1: Well, there's, there's some debate around the the lifespan of CDPs and kind of where it's heading. I think, Ultimately, it's around taking step step back and saying, what is the data we have? What's the data we have a right to use? Uh, and what does the customer expect us to have? And how do we use that ethically in a way that's mm. proper for that customer respecting PII, respecting all the different things we should be respecting, uh, and having a, a, a system of governance in place across all the data sources? And mm. it's, it's a major challenge. I wish yeah. there was a magic wand to that, but it's one that every – Every CIO is going to have to face.
0: Yeah, well, one of my guests not long ago, we were talking about uh, compliance and and um, you know regulations and governance and that sort of thing. And one of the things he said that I I thought was a really good lesson for for the audience. And 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 I'll share it with you. To see what you think. But but his his statement really was companies have to be intentional about that governance and compliance process up mm-hmm. front. So as they're planning what they're going to do, they need to include that strategy at the time versus we have this thing working and now, oops, we need to, <laughs> we need to figure out a way to, to comply. And it, it seems like a simple thing, but it also seems like something that
1: probably is a thing that would be missed. It, it can easily be missed. And whenever you're thinking about data, what's interesting when you think about it is you don't need to use all the data all the time. Right need to use specific sets of data for specific use cases. So I always think about, if you take a step back, what is the use case that you're even thinking of, and mm. how will it really impact the trajectory of that customer journey if you only could? And then what data do you need? And let's make sure you're focusing on the, the right problem.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, that again, that makes sense, and, and it seems like that could tie into best practices. And so, like, in fact, that's probably a good place to go next is to think about, Across those different functions, I mean, what are what are some of the best practices that you're seeing today for people that are integrating generative AI and AI systems into their into their customer management systems?
1: Well, a couple. Uh, First and foremost, it is is actually getting in the game. So not putting your head in the sand, your competition is doing these things to getting more efficient, more effective. But you don't have to solve it all at once and you can't. And the, the technology is changing. You, you couldn't possibly, frankly, Mike, right? The technology changes so fast. We, we, we've already blown past GPT-3, <laughs> well mm-hmm. into GPT-4, and, and on. And now there's Google Bard, there's other types of approaches that are just yep. exploding across everywhere. And you can't be an expert in absolutely everything all the time. Uh, and so don't, don't be overwhelmed by but get started. And when, the way I think about these, you need to be implementing uh, systems of trust. And that's trust in the systems from an employee standpoint so that you can achieve trust in, in what you're doing from a customer journey standpoint. And to do that, it, it is about testing and learning. Let's test this out. Let's watch it closely. Make sure in the early days we do have humans in the mix. And I think of it very much like the old days of um, pro- progressive profiling, not the old days. You should still be doing that. <laughs> marketing where you don't have it out of the gate of of complete profile, but progressively you're building and you're Mm. learning, learning and you're continually getting a better picture. The same thing is happening over time when you're deploying these AI, where you have the humans in the mix. If you're finding that hundred percent of the time in this type of a setting, when we're using this AI, it's actually producing the right, uh, the right type of content and it's low risk. Mm. I can let that fly. But these other areas I'm building confidence, I'm not quite there. And so you need to be able to regulate these things and build systems of trust over time. And uh, my advice is also not just from an employee standpoint, but also look at it from from a customer standpoint. Try if you can to get feedback uh, from the content, but my advice is uh, don't go nuclear with it. So uh, I'm talking about thumbs up, thumbs down, how are we doing type Stuff. I'm not talking about here, Phil, complete the survey with a pop up that slammed into your screen. Nobody likes that.
0: No, no, that's a sure exit strategy for me. If I see that, I'm gone. Right. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I And I think it's important to, <clears throat> to say that you're collecting feedback. And, and you're going to use that to refine. And I, I, I like that particularly in most of the, you know, Gen AI tools that you play with as a consumer. They have that little thumbs up, thumbs down. That's it. You know, it, was the answer good or was it not good? And, and, and that over time helps it tune and learn and, you know, perform better. I, I, I think that's really um, effective um, and, and quick, right? It's, it's frictionless or nearly anyway. Mm-hmm so you, you already sort of hit on a little bit of a, the advice right so uh, you're saying they should be doing it and they should um, be keeping the humans in the loop until you build trust and and um, and that sort of thing but I'm curious what else would you say from a standpoint of I'm a business I'm thinking about jumping in with some of the different customer areas with gen AI tools Um What what advice would you give them?
1: Well, I think start engaging uh, with the the various experts that are out there in the industry. There's great thinking coming out of McKinsey, out of Forrester, out of Gartner. uh, Accenture's doing good things, and uh, also you know challenge your vendors that you 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 trust and have them share with you and challenge them to tell you what are the things that you should be thinking about. Mm. Most of their technology, they should be closest to it, but they may be biased. Uh, and, well, they, they will be biased, but <laughs> yes. Yeah. Challenge them to, for their recommendations, because again, people are coming at this from very, you know, ever so slightly different perspectives with different flavors of AI. And what I'm seeing uh, right now, Michael, is that there's no one kind of atomic flyswag that does everything when it comes to AI. You right. might guess that a Google might get there someday or a meta, but uh, right now, Flavors are good for very specific things, and you're often going to take these open source ones and, and be very concerned with, you know, your, your data privacy and make your own flavors of it. And then you're going to chain different models together for not just different queries, but even different pieces of a query. So mm-hmm. that's why you need to start building up your knowledge internally on it. And again, challenge the, the vendors that are coming to explain to you where, where do they believe that they can help you most, and and honestly. Mm-hmm. where we're not.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I like the, the use of the word trust. And I, I've seen this now on a few of the, you know, enterprise vendors that I've taken a look at that are starting to embed AI in their systems. And, you know, like Salesforce calls it a trust layer. Sugar CRM, I, I did a, a deep dive with them around their trust layer. Um, and, and one of the things I've seen is there's a certain amount of automation that's starting to happen in here too. So like if you're... If you're passing information into a model, some companies are using a filter um, type approach, which just prevents things from going through that filter that you don't want in the model. Uh, yeah. PII, mostly, right? But then the other approach I thought was really novel uh, is having a, a, a basically an algorithm that knows that can identify those things and and modify them or mask them so that they aren't identifiable, but they still set the context for the model that you'd need to get an even more accurate uh, response. So to me that both, I mean, both of those are obviously useful and at different times, they probably both apply, um, but, but I like the word, I like the use of the word trust. I think that's important in this. And, and I guess the vendors should be able to help with the you know customers, their customers with that trust layer and trust level as they as they implement, right?
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And we we really saw some some early thinking around this subject coming out of out of Pega Systems, and they they put in place T switch, which stood for trust and transparency, on their next best action technology, which is which is AI mm-hmm. to operate the right thing for you. But it's using a plethora of analytic models in absolute real time, and those models rely on data. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, even regulations will mean that you might have to explain meaningful insight into the logic involved in that decision. But if you are using an opaque model uh, that really is pulling from any different types of data and using it in different ways that you can not understand, you're not only in violation with that, you're introducing risk into it. Mm-hmm. So being able to leverage and turn off and on certain models for different use cases and have that trust and empathy built in the system mm-hmm. Uh, I, I credit Pegasus for, for really starting that way. And now everyone seems to be talking about it, which is the way I think it needs to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, that to me, that does seem like the logical approach to give enough control in the system that you can, you know, that you can, can meet your own compliance standards but also regulatory standards and as we know privacy regulations are a mishmash across the world i mean gdpr and you've got you know california has their own a lot of states have their own we don't have a national one yet but i know in the in the uh executive order that biden the biden administration put out on ai that was one of the tenants there is they they wanted uh congress to take that up and pass a national um you know Legislation for privacy across the country to make that consistent. So that's, a, I'm sure that's a confusing one, and and you need the control in the systems to be able to get there,
1: right? Well, without a doubt, and yeah. it's, you know, I, I think it's a wonderful thing that we're considering having a uniform set of legislation across. You're still yeah. going to have differences between states, yeah. but they won't be as wildly different now, and you can actually have. Uh, a system that can better govern that across your processes. And Right now, it's very complex, very hard uh, for, for organizations that are serious about it.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's hard to keep up with, I mean, just the changes and how things go. Um, so so as we talk about this, I mean, this is an investment in time and it's an investment in money, certainly. Um, what metrics should businesses be looking at? How do they measure the ROI of these investments um, And and, you know, look at how it's improving CX, of course, but, but how do you make sure you're getting what you wanted out of it?
1: Well, some of the traditional measures will still still apply. You're going to look at, are they clicking? Are they engaging with content that you're producing? Is it converting to a sale? Uh, you might even look at the amount of time it takes to convert uh, to a sale. And are you able to service that customer better? So getting to, to a first contact resolution faster and less mm-hmm. amount of time, lower AH to your average handle time for these sales. Yep. Uh, but my, in my mind, I, I take a step back and say, you need to be looking at both the, how we started the conversation around not just efficiency, but effectiveness. Yeah. Not just the amount of time that it takes to do something and being more productive and efficient in your processes, which you need to do, but are you more effective? Are you changing the outcome? And if you work from the outcomes backward and focus on that, uh, I generally always believe you're thinking of the right thing.
0: Yeah. That uh, I mean, that that's good. I think a lot of companies today seem like they really focus around productivity, and that's important. I think there are a lot of productivity gains here, but yeah. but your your point of yes, but look at the outcomes and make sure that the outcomes are what you expected. Um, you can do something really fast in the wrong direction and it's <laughs> wrong, right? <laughs> so. It's
1: very easy to automate the wrong thing at scale. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I sort of felt that way around sales technology for the past few years that a lot of the sales tech was built to make you do the thing that already wasn't working, only more of it. <laughs> so. Not sure it. if that's a good strategy or not. Right. Well, Jeff, th- th- thanks for joining again. I, this, this is all the time we have today. I mean, we, I could definitely keep going on this topic for a long time. It's uh it's always a, an interesting one. Uh, but before I let you go, the one question I always ask everybody at the end, could, could you recommend somebody, you know, a thought leader, author, mentor, somebody that's influenced you and you believe that would be, you know, beneficial for companies that are thinking about getting involved with AI and generative AI in their customer journey that they could, you know, look at and 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 learn from?
1: Absolutely. There are a lot of, there are Frankly, a lot of great thinkers out there. The one I, I'm a, probably the greatest fan of is, uh, is Andrew Frank at Gartner. He's been been in this space for a long time, and I've, I've long followed him. And he's the one that is thinking about things such as that brand aspect of where we can apply yep. these types of technologies and things that we could never possibly do before, much less at scale. And I think he's just really had, has a, just an incredible way of thinking about the opportunities and challenges and challenges. Uh, it, he's also featured, I believe, in, in a great podcast, uh, which is Gartner Hashtags. And if you're not following that yet, I suggest you check it out. There are A number of great thinkers there: Penny Gillespie's there, Ben Bloom, others. And uh, it's it's always it always gets you thinking uh, in, in a different way, which I think is great.
0: Yeah, I do. I think that's great, and that's certainly in the world we're in. It changes so quickly. It's good to have some source that can kind of help you keep up and and keep that in the right context too. So. That's great. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Um, So Jeff, thanks for joining today. It's a great conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Mike. Always great. Thanks.
0: And that's the show for this week. Thank you all for joining. Remember to hit that subscribe button. And for more on AI and other software research reports and posts, check out the com slash blog and slash research reports. And don't forget to join us next week. I'm Michael Fawcett, and this is the Disambiguation Podcast. Thank you.